and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the show where I talk to developers, programmers, and coders of all types who are in business for themselves, and I try to figure out how they got to where they are. So if you're a coder who wants to get into business, or maybe if you're already in business and you want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode four with Jeff Welpley. My guest today is Jeff Welpley. Jeff is the CTO and co-founder of Get Human, one of the most popular websites in the world for customer service information and tools. He is also a Google developer expert and a leader in the tech community, organizing a number of local meetups in Boston and speaking at many different tech conferences around the globe. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. How are you doing? I am doing very well. It's uh, been a little bit since we've seen each other. I guess the last time would have been back in San Francisco for the GDE Summit back in November. Is that the last time we were together? Yeah, I think so. And then NGComp before that, and about a year ago or two, you were in Boston. Uh, so yeah, we've. Uh, it seems like every couple of months we we see each other at one event or another. Yeah. And I love getting together with you because one of the things that I find really uh, fascinating about what you do is you're with a startup, Get Human, um, and you are doing several things within Get Human that maybe are a little bit less typical of, um, you know, most startups because you're doing some projects with within the company uh, to kind of expand your horizon. So I was wondering if you could give maybe the background about Get Human, what the company's all about, how you got involved with it, and then maybe give us the rundown on some of the other projects you've got going on on within the company. Sure. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know, Get Human is a website that's been around for actually a long time. Uh, it was started back in 2006 by the f- former f- uh, founder of Kayak.com, which is obviously a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar company and huge success. And uh, Paul English, who started Kayak, at the very same time he was starting that business, he just he always did these different side projects and he created this website actually for his sick father who was having trouble getting through to customer service agents always waiting on hold and getting very frustrated so he created this sort of list of uh, cheat codes to get to an agent very quickly and that became very popular in fact uh the story he always likes to tell is that in the early days he would get more interview requests for get, about Get Human than for his venture-backed uh, company. Uh, so <laughs> it, it got to be a little bit of an issue, in fact. So he, he sort of had to shelve it for a while. And it went on living, but he didn't really maintain it that much until 2012 when myself and uh, my other co-founder, Christian Allen, uh, who was, Christian was working with him at Kayak, uh, sort of took it over, took it off his hands and turned it into a real business. And when we started turning it into a real business, we, at first it was just like an SEO thing. It was just like a content play and, um, which b- both Christian and I were good at at that time. And, uh, we did a good job of getting in, uh, growing the site and really, uh, turning it into a real business, making a lot of money off of ads. But, um, that wasn't like our ambition. Like they, having a content site that makes money is is a good lifestyle business, um, or can be rather. But you're not going to grow like a huge um, high growth you know venture business. Which you know one one of the things I, I think we should talk about in a little bit is like what uh, kind of knowing what type of thing you want to do. And I think uh, you know that's that's a question that I think anybody who wants to to start their own business they sort of have to answer like what kind of business, what type of life do they want to have? And at that time, even though we were making money um, and it was bootstrapped, we wanted more. Like we we did want to raise capital and to kind of, um, you know, grow a team and and have something that was like much, much bigger. And so we did actually uh, go out and raise money off of this idea of turning this content site uh, that just has information about customer service into an actual service, into something where you could actually pay us to serve as basically your virtual assistant. It's essentially a a form of virtual assistant service that um, is around these days in different forms, um, but focused mostly on solving customer service problems. 
And so we started that and hired a team, raised a, a seed round of capital from a couple of VC firms. And it was interesting and fun for a while. It was definitely uh, a good experience seeing how that goes, like kind of scaling up a team really quickly and building out like a, a service and, and everything involved there. And I can definitely dive into a lot of the details of that, but the, the kind of jumping to the end of that <laughs> phase of things is that uh, like so many ventures, it uh, did not work out. It's, uh-huh. it was a good idea, I think, but you know, until you start really getting into the mechanics of how something works and then and, and the unique economics and, and you're talking really to your users um, at a really deep level. There's all sorts of assumptions you make that just turn out to be not be true or, or different or whatever. And for us, it, we always thought that the pain that people felt and, and you know, we, we had millions of people coming to get human.com at that time. And we, we felt like, okay, out of all these millions of people, obviously they would want, they, they should be willing to pay for, to get rid of this, you know, hugely painful experience to have something nice. Um, but for many different reasons, uh, it just didn't, didn't work. Um, and so we ended up cancel, uh, basically shutting down that service completely. And that was a really hard decision. We had to fire a lot of people, uh, or lay people off, whatever you want to call it. And, and basically pivot, you know, pretty hard. Um, yeah. And but the good news is that uh, since then, you know, we've uh, sort of rebounded in terms of we we got gethuman.com back to even better than it was, you know, in its heyday, way more people than before. Um, but the key thing now is that instead of banking on just this one kind of grand idea, uh, we are trying to do a lot of like little experiments. So use you know, gethuman.com as our sort of base foundation, which has always made money off of ads as a content site. Um, but we know that's not just because of the nature of, of a content site, it's never going to be, you know, billion dollar business. Uh, and we still don't want to just rely on a, a lifestyle business. You know, we, if we did, we could just keep going with that. Right. But we want to still have higher aspirations. So our idea now is to, use that as, you know, floating team. We are profitable just based off of that and just try every month, you know, different experiments, trying out different ideas until we find the right thing. Right. Gotcha. And so talk to me about some of those experiments. Um, I know you were talking to me at one point about uh, a budgeting app. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And if there's anything you can share, um, I'm not exactly sure where the the app is, if it's fully released, if it's in beta, but uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about what's going on with that budgeting app. You know, actually, I'll get into that, but let me take a step back for a second and and, um, mention a little bit about the sort of approach that we've come up with for doing these experiments, because I think that'll dive into a little bit of, you know, how we treat that budging app as well as some of the other stuff that that we're doing. You know, so we, we, for a short time as we were kind of building GetHuman.com back up, we talked about a methodology that as a company we can approach to try to find, you know, some bigger product or service. And we came up with a list of 10 different criteria that we wanted to follow for any idea or business venture. And I honestly don't remember off the top of my head every single one, but it was, it was things like, you know, it had to, make money right off the bat. We didn't want to do something that was going to be like a three-year investment before you started actually seeing and, and require a whole bunch of venture capital. Like we wanted to like actually be making money right off the bat. We wanted to, you know, not do anything that had high regulatory um, hurdles. Like there was a bunch of stuff that that's not, I, I, I definitely don't think it's like every team should have like these set of criteria by any means, but it was more just based off of like the, the different individuals involved, you know, in my team and who are, you know, all really talented and wanted to work together and, and want to, you know, find the success. We we wanted to make sure we were on the same page of what that looks like and, and what sort of um, ha- how to evaluate different mm-hmm. ideas. So part of it was kind of like this, just check boxes, right? Initially, but then there's the process of like, okay, once we have these ideas, you know, what how do we go about it? 
And we spent a lot of time actually on this in different iterations. And I'm, I'm like really, really happy about where we're at now in terms of that, which is you're basically trying not to build something as much as possible. Uh, right, you know, I, right. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a software developer and I know, you know, you, you've, um, you know, do a lot of development now, but you, you sort of are more on the business oriented side of things. Right. And you, if you can validate an idea without building something, then you just saved yourself, you know, many months, totally. years of pain. Absolutely. Yep. That's, that's very true. So, the, and that's interesting. So you, you've got like a, it sounds like it's almost like, is it a document that you have that, you know, is, is basically a, a giant filter you've come up with as a team that says, here's, here's this kind of filter that we've come up with that will apply to any ideas that come through our heads to see if they can, can validate through this before we even go down this path. So it's a, it's a, it's like a published document you've got almost, well, maybe not published, published, but you, you've got it internally. Yeah, we got it internally. I, we should at, at some point, uh, publish extra. I, I, you know, what we'll do is once we actually have like this super success, then we'll publish. There's a lot sure, of like, yeah. retroactive, uh, thinking that goes on in the industry with these different blog posts. So that'll be one of those ones that uh, we'll put out yep. there at some point. Absolutely. That, that sounds good. Um, that, that's a really cool methodology. I think that's, I mean, you're, you're setting yourselves up. Um, you're, you're removing possible stepping stones that might fall right into the water right off the bat in a lot of ways, right? You're, you're setting yourselves up for a greater chance of success. So I think that's really, really a good idea. Um, and, and I suppose the, the budgeting app that, that maybe you could share a little bit about that, that would have passed through this filter that you've set up the idea for that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the, with this budgeting app called Swish and the way we approach it is that we first started off with what is what is the problem? You know, because at the end of the day, you need to be solving a problem. It can't just be technologies for technology's sake. And um, you know, one of the criteria we had is that it had to be a problem that was very painful. A so like it wasn't just something that like oh eh, I could do without. Like it's a nice to have. No, it had to be something that for a certain segment of people, not everybody, but a certain segment of people was very painful. With budgeting, um, there is a lot of people. Um, you know, especially our target audience and, and this, we found this out through a series of user interviews. Um, your target audience were, were people out of college, usually a couple of years out of college where they were making money and they were old enough to realize that they have financial goals, but they were young enough to, to be still stupid about how they <laughs> manage their finances and like not knowing how to actually get there. You know what I mean? Right. And so there's, uh, you know, that 24 to 30 range or whatever uh, people is where we targeted a lot of our work there. And, um, you know, in the early days, we uh, knew that there was something painful there. And we ended up um, doing a lot of these user interviews. So, like, we have different software and services we use for this. Um, you don't have to use these, but just to give you an idea, there's a userinterviews.com which uh, basically you can pay for anonymous people to sign up and, and you can use different filtering criteria to get the right, right type of people and figure out who's, who's right. And, you know, there's different stages where initially it might be ideation where you don't even have something to show them. You're literally just like, okay, what financial problems do you have? Like, tell us about your problems and how do you deal with it right now? That's usually like how you start, right? Then once you you get some information from them about that, then you still don't build anything. <laughs> then you uh, like mock something up of like, okay, here's some ideas and concepts of like how we can solve this problem. Then you have another round of user interviews of like, okay, here's here's some ideas. Does this adhere? To, uh, does this seem like it would solve your problem? What you're looking for at that stage is like, you need people who are not just, oh, okay, I, yeah, that might be, you need like enthusiasm. You need people who are like really gonna like, okay, I need this today. You guys need to give this to me. Like really mm -hmm. um, kind of begging you to have that. And it doesn't have to be everybody. Shut up, shut up and take my money, I think is the, uh, the typical statement that we see. Exactly. Exactly. And the mistake I think people make with that though, by the way, is they think that every single person has to do that. It's not every single person. It, it has to be the key part is that it's everybody that fits a certain criteria. You have to be able to identify if they check these boxes, 
these people will be uh, super enthusiastic about this. So like it, sometimes it's demographic stuff like, you know, sex or locate, uh, you know, uh, location uh, where they live or age. But sometimes it's more subtle things like, um, you know, is this person, um, has this person uh, just moved into a new apartment? You know, or, or something like that, um, where where it's a little bit more abstract, and it might not make sense at first. Like those are the ones where you can never guess it, to be honest. But it's only after trial and error that you figure out those are are. So once you have those, then it's like gold. Like okay, now you you've got you can find the people. You you know how to find the people who will love this and they want this thing. Then you start to build your MVP. But um, the key there. Is that instead of um, building, like I think a lot of people think of an MVP as like uh, just crappier version of like a full product, and that's like a total mistake. It has to be really good, but it, it has to be really simple. So it, you, you instead of like building out this fully featured thing, you you make something really good and you spend time on it to make it really good, but it only does one simple thing, like a, as simple as possible, like no frills, but right. works really well. Um, and get that out there. So we basically followed what I'm what I'm describing for Swish, and um, it's interesting. Like you with with Swish and other ideas that we we've, we've done at different gates. There's different gates usually where you as you go along the way, you either pass like fully pass like 100. Like yes, this is going great. Like everybody is on board and loving this. This is going to be awesome. Or sometimes you like raise like little concerns. So it's not, it, sometimes it does get into a gray area that like, you know, there are some issues here. Do we want to move forward or not? Um, with Swish, it was something where the beginning parts were like really, really good. Like the initial validation, the initial solution was really good. The problems that we started having with Swish was once we got our MVP out there, um, and to answer your question, it, it is out there if you go to swish.com. Um, I think it is a great budgeting app. I, I like it. I use it every day myself, and, and I think it's better than other uh, budgeting apps. What's the address for that? We'll link it up in the show notes, but it's swish.com? Yep, S-W-I-S-H.com. How did you get that domain? You must have paid an arm and a leg for it. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we, cool. Christian and I, uh, my co-founder and I used to, uh, we always used to love just buying domains or whatever. And okay. it was just by fortuitous um, circumstance that he had that. And we'd always talk gotcha. about doing something with it. So here we are now. Yeah. Um, but um, the problem is, even if you go through all that, you always have to be looking for something that is your know, reasons why not to move forward. Like, so when you're in this, this cycle where we are of trying to find this home run, like it's not... Um, you definitely can have gray area here, but like you, you ideally want to either be on the side of like things are looking great and like, yes, you're going to plow through ahead or like if, if some, there's some issues, like you got to like dive deep into them, like some potential issues where you don't want to move forward. The potential issues that we eventually ran into a swish and still are there today are that although there is a lot of advancement in the, um, communication with banks. Uh, so like you typically connect to a bank through a middle, um, like a service, uh, plaid or a Quovo right. or, you know, there's a bunch of other ones and it's much, much better than it used to be much better, but it's still bad. Is it? Yeah. I've wondered about that. Actually the state of, you know, uh, bank APIs, if it's, if it's good or, or not so good. Yeah. And that's a problem when, depending on what you want to do and, and for the type of app we, we, we want to build and, and what we were trying to solve with Swish, it gets to be an issue quite often, actually, which is unfortunate. Right. You know, it, for onboarding, for example, there's uh, every single day now I deal with, uh, you know, I'm still maintaining it, obviously. And, and every single day, uh, there are people who try to connect to a smaller bank, right? And there's a huge long tail of financial institutions. And the, the long tail is there's on a daily basis, even though it does work, 
it's just an ongoing set of issues because these smaller institutions just don't support these the bank um, links as as well as the larger institutions, um, and that's always a problem. The the services themselves, even though again they do a pretty good job, they do have periodic issues. There's just like a constant stream of issues where it's never a hundred percent. And when you are um, with Swish, you know, we're trying to boil all of your finances down to one number. And if that mm-hmm. number is wrong, you immediately lose confidence in, yeah. in, in the app. And um, so it's very frustrating that for, you know, I would say, um, you know, half the, the, the people, it is not 100% accurate 100% of the time um, because right. of these various issues. And we, you know, basically decided, uh, you know, last month that we are going to keep it in maintenance and we still have a lot of hopes for the future, but until the state of the kind of banking APIs improves, uh, we just didn't feel comfortable kind of like putting a lot of effort into it. Um, so it's sort gotcha. of in, in maintenance mode right now. Okay. That's interesting. So, and you know, one of the things I was wondering about Swish and maybe if it's the case too, for other projects you have going on within Get Human is, are they, are they monetized at this point or are we, are we kind of doing, um, you know, just trial periods? How, how does the monetization look like for, uh, for Swish, for example? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And so, uh, Swish, by the way, was, was, you know, it was an iterative process for us to find this set of criteria that we evaluate all these different ideas on. And Swish happened before we had the thing that it had. We had to be making money right off the bat. So it, right. it actually does not make money right off the bat. There was a lot of ideas for how we would make money and monetize that, and um, I could certainly go over. There. I mean, basically, uh, you know, whenever you have a this type type of app, you know, you you can always do a subscription thing. Like most of the time with with financial apps, it's like either you either have a subscription. You do transactions where you make money off of it. Um, a lot of a lot of the banking apps do this thing where they have like a savings account and then they make money off of of getting people to use the, the you know their savings account. So there's like right. there is a, like a set number of things that are pretty well established of how you can make you know money off you know these types of financial apps. Um, but for right now, we're not making any money and. Um, if, if we, if the banking APIs, you know, improve and we want to pick this back up, um, we know that there's like a lot of stuff that we can do if, if we want to monetize it. Gotcha. Well, that's really cool. Um, any other notable projects that are happening within get human that, uh, that you could touch on? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to mention, uh, two others, one failure and one. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'd love to hear the failure story. Cause that's always interesting to kind of learn some lessons about what, what might not have worked so well. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is interesting too. So we have another one, vendorsmith.com, which is a service to help people manage their cloud services, mostly hosting, mostly like AWS and Google Cloud, right? And I, I actually felt really good about this one for a while. And, and we were making, we had some months we were making some significant money, you know, on this. Um, this particular service. So we, this is one that we've made money off of by basically saving, saving other people money. And, and um, you're looking at their current usage, optimizing, you know, how they, they use the cloud. Um, you know, I, as part of, of this service, I, I actually ended up getting certified in both like on the AWS side and, and Google cloud side. And we became official partners of both AWS and Google cloud. And we still are. Um, and we're still, you know, just like with Swish, we're still, this service is still alive and we're still, you know, solving um, these types of problems and, and actually making money. Um, the problem <laughs> is that after a long road of working to become official partners for AWS and Google Cloud, the unfortunate thing is that the potential return is much less than we thought it would be. Um, I see. Okay. You, they, they have, you know, we, we were making money without being a partner just by essentially having the, the, the company, the client pay us. Um, so when we save the money, they would, they would pay us directly. And right. we were trying to move to a model where we became partners and the client wouldn't have to pay us anything. And, you know, Google or AWS pays us and that does work. But the problem is the, uh, for the amount of work you have to put in, the amount that they pay you is, um, not that great. And so we, um, 
you know, decided that we're going to, you know, again, uh, still move forward and still kind of like, um, slowly we have in, in this kind of maintenance mode cycle and, and we'll see if things change there. Um, but we're not going to like put, you know, that's not at least for, for from the current view of it, it doesn't seem like it is going to be this kind of like big billion dollar business. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's a, a cool idea though. I, uh, you know, I'd love to, so is, is it still running at all? Like, is it something we can check out? If you, if anybody wants, uh, you know, to, to help have us evaluate your usage of any, you know, cloud infrastructure and, you know, just provide recommendations, see how we can save, save you money. Yeah. We, we are still doing it and, um, it, it works really well. Uh, you know, we've actually, we, just to give you an idea, we've saved some companies as much as, you know, $50,000 a month. Um, sometimes more, wow. you know, companies that, that use like, um, uh, yeah, actually I can't, I honestly, I can't remember off the top of my head, which one I'm allowed to say or not. So, uh, That's okay. I, I, no I probably better that I don't, uh, but, yep. but some, some bigger companies uh, and it, that, that part is great. It's, it's just that, um, in order to expand with, with any business, and, and this is maybe a good thing to talk about in ge- from a general sense, you need to be able to, it's not a matter of just, anybody can make money off of just kind of like a one or two shot thing. You mm. need to be able to make it a repeatable kind of like formula, right? right? Where you know how to acquire customers and it's a channel that, can, that you know how to grow. And, and that, you know, obviously like on a, on a unit basis that you know how to kind of make operationally, you make money, but to be honest, the operational part is usually easier than the, uh, acquiring customers, acquiring customers in in a repeatable, scalable way is Mm. way, way harder than any operational challenge. Um, and with Vendorsmith, that particular challenge is why we ended up kind of putting into maintenance mode because we after a year of trying to get a good acquisition strategy, um, we just couldn't, couldn't do it. So what was, uh, what was the approach? What was the strategy there for acquisition? Did you have like some inside sales folks that were talking with, with bigger, bigger companies or how did, how did that look? Yeah. So it's funny. We did some interesting stuff for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Every, every product has a different acquisition strategy, all depending on you know, who the users are and that type of thing. Obviously, for Vendorsmith, we're trying to deal with um, companies, and and you know, it's like okay, which companies are you trying to deal with? And if you try to go too high end, too big, there are plenty, you know, huge amount of problems. Not just you know, with any big enterprise sale, you usually have to have like a lot more high touch and that type of thing. But also for this specific thing where we were trying to save people money. The thing we ran into right off the bat was that these larger companies have like a CFO where the CFO gets very defensive about mm. uh, this type of thing where it's just like a pure you know money saving thing where they feel like that's what they're supposed to be doing. Um, Interesting. Or, or there's maybe a similar position you know other companies. So we ended up targeting much smaller like startups. We, we were trying to do you know startups that were um, you know not not like. Uh, you know, just starting out. Usually, they they are spending at least like ten thousand a month on hosting bills, um, and have under fifty people. That was like our criteria, and, and and as far as that criteria, that actually worked well. The problem was mm-hmm. that um, you know, how do you acquire those people? You know, we tried the the blog, you know, content play, and that was that was kind of hard and. We didn't see much uh, that we, I think that could have worked in the long term, but that takes a long time. You, I mean, you've done a bunch of constant stuff. You, so, you know, it, it takes a while to kind of like build that up. Um, so right. a lot of the focus was more on the email marketing side. And uh, man, I, I, I mean, I've, I've done email marketing before, but not as much as we did for this. Like I, I've, I feel like we've gone through every, Types of email marketing, um, both both different services out there that that we've you know, you know both good and bad, as well as mm-hmm. different techniques and strategies, and um, yeah, it, it's you would think that this is like would be an easy sell where it's just like okay, we'll save you money, yep, but 
it's not because besides like the the CFO type problem that I mentioned, the other issue is that usually the biggest expense at any company is people by far. Right. 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 And especially for the companies we were trying to target. So even though, you know, okay, we'll say for company X, we can save you $10,000 a month, you know, $100,000 a year or $120,000 a year. To them, that would seem like it's like a no brainer, but to them, that isn't big enough to matter because if they, those are for like these 50 person companies where you're like, okay, but then I probably have to like, give you a bunch of information and and deal with this back and forth with you. And it's just not even worth it. So right. we got a lot of that. And That's interesting. Yeah. And, and just, um, email marketing general so hard. People just hate getting, <laughs> getting spammed essentially. Yeah. That's what I was just spamming people. Well, that's, you know, that's interesting. I'd love to hear a bit more of your experience on the email side, because I talk to a lot of people and I do this myself. I use email marketing as one of the primary means of, of marketing um, my content and and the stuff that I sell. It turns out to work well in my case, because I'm, you know, I'm selling courses, I'm selling eBooks and, and to have a relationship uh, that's established with your potential buyer, email is a good way to do that. Um, whereas on the flip side, if you're selling a product or service, um, you know, especially going in cold, I can imagine that it's it's a different story. What are some of the maybe providers that you tried out, things you liked and didn't like, and then what was your what was your overall strategy, I guess, with those providers? How did you how did you uh, I guess what were some of the email types that you sent out? Some of the templates uh, almost that you would have used, or some of the feel within those uh, emails that you would have sent out? Well, yeah. So the one thing I would say is that the, the thing that works for sure is like a real drip marketing campaign where you have a piece of content, you get someone to sign up for your newsletter or enter their email address on your website. And then you kind of like drip some content to them and email them over a course of days and, and give them white papers and that type of thing. When you do that, right, that works. That is like a great strategy. What is much tougher is if you are literally like cold emailing people where you just are trying to get you you basically acquire a, a you know you know 50,000 emails and you just start blasting people that like never works and right. no matter which way you try it i mean it doesn't matter how good or slick you are at it it's just horrible like it, it, so we we were like doing something pretty cold like that for a very short time and realized pretty quickly that that was never, ever going to work. The one thing that we tried that we actually thought was going to be work well, but it didn't at all was to do, um, you know, LinkedIn, like, like try to go through a network, like a web of, uh, a network, um, from the people that we did service or know and kind of use their networks and, and kind of get intros from them, and then kind of spider out. And that actually ran into a bunch of challenges that we didn't expect. Uh, first is that you can't use LinkedIn for that anymore. Like it, you used to be able to actually um, to like, you know, use your network and see who, you know, other people are connected to and then kind of start reaching right. out to them. But probably for the same reason that we were trying to do it, a bunch of people have tried to do that in the past. And <laughs> probably shut it down for, you know, trying to cut down on the, the, the spam or whatever. Um, the other thing we tried to do is to, okay, we had a whole bunch of people that we saved money for that were enthusiastic and actually wanted to refer us. And we were like, okay, we'll get them to send, you know, X number of emails to their, you know, top companies. And then, once we service them, then we'll go to the, you know the net ten people of those, and it would just kind of like multiply. But it's funny, like asking somebody to refer you is a very I I, I have not cracked that nut. Some some people have, are it's a very like subtle art I've realized of how to get good referrals because even when somebody some of the people we've had that you know, wanted to give us referrals. You know, first of all, like they're so busy, 
most people, especially in the startup world and that type of thing, you know, any, anything that requires like, you know, them even like writing their own content or like kind of thinking about it themselves, they're just going to keep putting off, even though, even though they, they do want to help truly honestly, but there's just this, uh, balance that with like all the other stuff that they're doing. So then you're like, okay, um, I'll write the email for you and, you know, like you send it to you and you just send it along. But then they're they're like okay, but um, even though they say that they would, then they start once you make cut those down those barriers, then they start thinking of like okay, like who do I want to use my social capital with or whatever. And most people that are savvy, they're very judicious about how they use their social capital. They they know that when they do actually give one of their like true referrals. If it doesn't work out for whatever reason, then it's on them. So as much as they're enthusiastic about it, they're always going to be hesitant to to do that to some degree. So we we got a lot of, um, you know, basically pe- people that initially said that they were going to help us, you know, refer people, and then they never did. Um, so that didn't work either. <laughs> so uh, so there's a couple strategies there that just uh, never worked out. Uh, I would say that the the, the one that's tied email strategies that are tied to content are you know much more beneficial and those are the ones you should just stick to gotcha yeah is it um the case do you think that for all SaaS products all potential products that email maybe isn't such a, a good play if you're doing a cold or would you say there's there are ways to do it um when it's cold that might end up working or is that kind of just a write-off would you say uh, I just don't think cold works at all. No, um, no. I mean, it, it's it's got to be something where you, through other means, you know, blog posts or or podcasts or whatever else, that you're enticing people to willingly sign up. If they are not willingly sign up, even if they were perfect candidates and would love to try it, um, it's just I, I just haven't seen it. I guess maybe. It, I, I have no doubt that there's some ninja out there who is amazing at this type of stuff who uh, can make it work. But I, all I could say is that we spent a lot of time working hard in this and it just we couldn't get it to work. Well, and it's interesting, too, because with something like Vendorsmith, um, you know, targeting the industry that it's targeting, that's that's. And even harder not to crack in a lot of ways when you're doing cold email, right? Because you've got you've got an audience of people, a potential audience, potential, you know, uh, customer, hopeful customer that you're reaching out to that is already allergic to that type of, of marketing material uh, when it's when it's a cold email, a cold offer, whatever the case may be, when there's no relationship established. Um, I, I suspect that there's almost a bigger allergy amongst that crowd than there is amongst the uh, the population as a whole. So you're kind of um, you're up against multiple challenges in that case, I think. Yeah, definitely. And going back to our original filtering criteria for you know businesses, um, business ideas. Even though we thought this one was one where there was a lot of pain and pain that people felt frequently, the the, the reality is what that the pain wasn't that great, and that it wasn't felt that frequently. So right. Well, it sounds like with, uh, you know, the, the experimental mindset that you guys are taking here, hopefully not all that much was lost in, in this particular experiment and things can hum along just as well with the other projects you've got going on. Well, no, see, that's the great thing is that even though I, I say that, you know, Swish and, uh, Vandersmith, we've been, we have on and off been working for the past year, year and a half. They aren't like full-time things. Like, so it, it's literally like we have in parallel all these different experiments going on at the same time and they don't require that much work because we don't build that much stuff for them. I mean, especially Vendorsmith, I mean, we didn't build anything. It was just, it was mostly marketing material and a lot of the service was manual. Uh, for Swish, you know, we did build an MVP and um, I, I did, I spent a pretty decent amount of time building the product that's out there now, um, you know, in on the app stores as well. But um Still not not as much as as uh, you know. Let's say the original Get Human. Like I, I spent years, you know, building that. You know, back in the day. Um, so th- th- that's that's for like the you know 
the failures. The the one that um, there's one that we're working on now that is not a failure yet, um, mm. but we, we feel really you know good about. So we're working on this thing called Hypmatic, uh, Hypmatic.io, and the idea here is to help people who like high quality clothes and apparel and products, physical products, but um, they don't want to, you know, spend a lot of money. And, and typically those people, you know, so they're not like trying to buy the most highest priced, most posh thing. Most of the people in that mindset end up doing a lot of research online, like at one point or another. So you want to, um, let's say you want to go hiking, right? And you, you don't have a pair of hiking boots and you want to get a pair of hiking boots. People who are of this mindset, they will spend, you know, typically an hour, maybe even multiple hours researching both, you know, about hiking, you know, and about what are the different types of, of considerations of like low top, high top, you know, like durability, whatever else, like stuff that they may not know about and, and or want to refresh themselves on and, and just like kind of looking around. And it's interesting because when I got into, when we got into this, you know, we, we thought like, oh, there's so much information out there, you know, Amazon reviews and everything like that, but there's almost like too much information out there and it's, it's overload and it's hard to disambiguate the good from the bad. There's so many like fake reviews out there and and everything like that. So we thought of, you know, what if there was this kind of consumer reports for, um, clothes and apparel, um, or another way to think about it is like a, you know, rotten tomato, uh, kind of boiling everything down to just like a simple, like uh, scoring number, uh, you know, user score and expert score for, um, different products. So you can kind of very quickly cut right to the chase. Um, you know, an aggregator of information from, you know, Amazon and a bunch of other sites. So, um, we're, we're pretty close to launching the MVP. We're at the MVP MVP phase for this as well. We we've gone through all of these reviews for validating the problem and the solution. Um, and so we're, we're building out the MVP now. And, uh, I, I, I feel really good about this. There, there are some you know potential challenges. Like, so, um, just to give you a sense of like the things that we're watching, we're watching out for is that, um, you know, a, uh, you, you do have to deal with, um, product information, which a lot of it you end up having to get from, you know, Amazon, but you know, also from other vendors. And whenever you're dependent on other vendors for your core feature, um, that's a risk. So like, mm-hmm. it's just something to be aware of that, like, you know, either sometimes, you know, of course, if, if they want to, you know, any vendor that you're dependent on can cut you off, but also, um, you, they might limit what you're allowed to do. So like there's risks there that even though we might want to do something, if we're heavily dependent on, you know, another vendor, you know, just thinking about that. And so that's one of the things in the MVP that we're trying to make sure that we can do what we want to do. Uh, but then the other thing is, you know, for, for any type of shopping type, um, you know, even if we provide, you know, really good, information to solve somebody's problem, you know, in the moment, like, uh, I think we feel pretty confident, highly confident that we can achieve that on like a, on a, you know, one-off situation. Like somebody is looking for hiking shoes, they come to our site and we already did all the research for them. We compiled like all the aggregated information. Like we're pretty highly confident that we can do that. The harder thing for this type of thing, there was a bigger risk that we're trying to validate upfront is uh, the stickiness that, you know, you really need in order for this to be successful. You need people who not just come once that they do actually sign up and they, you know, stay involved and they keep coming back. And so for the MVP, like, like I mentioned, you, you want to build just one simple thing. So when we did that, even though the, the, the fully featured app, we have like all sorts of ideas of how we are going to like aggregate information in this like really interesting way we're not doing any of that for, for this first MVP because we we're just focusing on that one risk of getting somebody to sign up and come back. Um, and so we have some kind of like interesting ideas, I think of of how to like validate that without kind of like building a whole bunch of stuff. Gotcha. That's interesting. And one thing that, that comes to mind is how much, cause you guys are doing this within a, an existing company. How much of your time would you say is, is spent on get human itself? Uh, and then how much is spent on, on the side projects? What's your, what's your time split on that? Well, it all kind of melts together in a, uh, some, to some degree, but we do try to 
remain disciplined about um, doing things in sprints. So like we, we are, other than obviously issues that come up, our idea is to go on three week cycles where we basically work for an experiment, like during the course of three weeks. I mean, and that's part of the discipline that we we're trying to have that we need to push ourselves to simplify things to a degree where we can get a meaningful you know, uh, answer to some question within, you know, three week timeline, which, which is tricky sometimes, really tricky, especially when it does involve building stuff. But, um, we, we've more recently been able to hold to that better and better, which is great. And so we'll go for a three week cycle of experiments and then a three week cycle of maintenance and like, um, fixes and upgrades of, of the core thing. Um, and we are, by the way, I, you know, I, one thing I should mention is that, um, when I say we're in maintenance mode, we, we do try out different things with these different products that we have out there, including gethuman.com. Um, but it's just that the, 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 it's a different mindset. Like, you know, when you're, when you're trying out experiments for something that's in kind of like quote unquote maintenance mode, it's more experiments of like, the whole goal is more getting like incremental improvements, like, you know, slow, keep on slowly, you know, making more money, improving the experience, you know, in a more like slower way. Uh, whereas the experiments for the kind of bigger bets are, you know, stuff where we don't care about the incremental improvement. Like, in fact, the incremental improvement arguably is a distraction and it's more about finding the biggest risk and validating that as quickly as possible. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, so one thing I've been thinking about is you've obviously got a high degree of business acumen, but you're also a, a very technical person. I know that uh, your your technical chops um, are are great as well. So I, one one thing that comes to mind for me is how did this develop? Like, and maybe you can remind me. Did you go to school for a CS degree? Did you did you have formal education in uh, in coding? And then how did you how did you come to kind of acquire the the business chops that you've got at the same time? Yeah, so I did get a CS degree, um, but I didn't go into college knowing that I was going to do computers. I actually went in as pre-med. I was going to be a doctor. Okay, interesting. <laughs> and um, it was about halfway through. Actually, I can remember the, the specific night. Um, they, have, they had these events at night um, for the pre-med program to try to scare kids and where they would, you know, get everybody together and, and they would have people who went through the program who describe what life is like after you graduate. And we had, you know, basically residents from the local hospital who, who went to BC and came in and talked about it. And I just didn't, I wasn't interested in that lifestyle of, I, I, I thought I was like, I liked the idea of being a doctor and, and doing that type of stuff. But then I just didn't, um, it didn't appeal to me, uh, once they got into like the nitty gritty talking about it. And so then I had to like do some soul searching and I, I had always somewhat been interested in, uh, you know, technology, but I, I, I hadn't done that much. And I forget the exact, you know, I, I think I maybe even just tried one course and it just like liked it array and, and very quickly built up. And so, um, yeah, I was CS major, right? But um, the business side stuff came afterwards. Once I graduated, I was a consultant, which when you're a consultant, as as you know, you sort of have to learn some levels of business stuff just because not only for managing your own time and everything, but also you know, people tip, typically, or at least some of the clients that I had, they would throw on your shoulders, okay, get this done. And it was never just a technology thing. Like it was always, okay, yeah. okay, look, why are you doing this in the first place? Like what, what's the goal you're trying to achieve? You know, you, you sort of are forced to become a little bit better at the business side. So like the consultancy thing definitely helped for that. And then at, even after I got like a regular full-time job at Wells Fargo, I started doing different side projects uh, I had one other person that worked with me there who was interested in doing side projects too. And we, we basically uh, would buy small websites from bizbuysell.com. I don't know if you've ever heard okay. of that. It, it's just the people who build like little 
different types of, uh, you know, not, not anything that crazy, just, you know, either e-commerce sites or, you know, we bought a gambling website one time, <laughs> bought a beauty product website, it's just different random stuff. And it was almost like, uh, home remodeling. Like, in fact, I, I, I like to think about it when I think back about it, I, I like to think about it that way that, you know, we're kind of like flipping houses that we would buy these yeah. you know small websites, you kind of like fix them up and, and improve some stuff and then try to like sell them off. And, uh, that was fun. I definitely learned a lot uh, through that as well. Gotcha. That's interesting. You know, and so I, I hear you on the whole uh, consulting side of things. You know, I do a lot of that now. And I, I almost tell people now, I do tell people when they ask me what I do and I tell them I'm a software developer and I'm a consultant, et cetera, um, that I do a lot of uh, kind of business development consulting at the same time, because at least the, the clients that I serve, it, it's it's a necessity really um, for the projects I do, because you're not just for for many, many projects, you're not just brought in to, you know, write some code, some arbitrary code. You have to go in and look at the business, what it does, how it operates, how data flows through the business, um, you know, what the dependencies are, uh, the you know, the dependencies of the business itself, what the relationships are within it. And so I found myself getting a lot of, uh, I guess, knowledge about business in general, just through osmosis that way. You know, it's just by virtue of the the types of projects that I've been on that I've found myself both doing, you know, development work as I'm hired to do, but also a lot of business development stuff at the same time, which I think feeds into the the product that I build for my clients at the same time. I wonder if you had the same experience when you were consulting. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I, it was also interesting. One, one great thing as, as a consultant is that at least for when I was doing it, I would imagine the same with you is that because you switch between different clients on a pretty regular basis, like for me back then, it was, I think, practically every six months I was on a different client and the clients weren't the same. You know, they were different industry, different size, different goals. And I think when you stay at one place for a long time, you sometimes lose sight of what the business is trying to do, you just are kind of focused on your, your, your specific goal. But when you're switching around like that a lot, you start to see this kind of connected tissue between, you know, how people, you know, both, I mean, a lot of different things, uh, how people work internally, but, but also, you know, when people are successful or business are successful, rather, you know, what, what are, what does it look like? What, what are they trying to do? And, um, you're almost getting an MBA in reverse, uh, reverse engineering an MBA, right? Like because I, I, I didn't didn't go to school to get my MBA, but I've heard from other people who have done this that you know they teach you a lot of the fundamentals, but it's not like grounded in practical um, reality necessarily. And then once you're out in the real world, you kind of like apply that. Um, I, I think I started picking up on a lot of those kind of fundamentals by kind of just observing and kind of living them and, and understanding kind of the, you know, I, I would see something at work and j just like with technology, how I, I was listening to a podcast you were doing the other day, actually, Ryan, um, okay. where, where you were saying when you were learning Angular, you would see something you didn't know. And then you would kind of like use that as the opportunity to go and research it and, figure yeah, that totally. out, you know, and I was kind of yep. doing the same thing from the business standpoint. Like I would purposely try to understand what the heads of the business were trying to do. And when it didn't make sense to me, I would talk to other people and try to like do my own kind of research and thinking into, you know, why, why it's, it's some, <laughs> you know, sometimes it would be that, that the people in, in question were not, doing the right thing or, or kind of, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best business practice, but other times it was something that it, it was something really smart and I just didn't understand it. Or I wasn't exposed to it yet. So I, I think that experience taught, you know, series of different business experiences taught me a lot. You know, thinking about 
if, you know, if people want to get into the stuff that you're doing startups, you know, ideas, taking something from nothing, turning it into a product, what do you think is the best way to approach it? If, if maybe somebody doesn't have the same kind of business experience, the same kind of consulting experience that you've had, um, you know, the same kind of, uh, experience working in regular old jobs, uh, do you have any recommendations as to how people can approach that? Yeah, I do actually, um, First of all, I, I do think that there are a lot of different paths here. Like, there's definitely not one successful path. So, take this to a grain of salt. But I do have an opinion that the the best way is to learn from other people that are have a lot of experience and, and know not only about the business side or the technical side, but just entrepreneurs, people that are, that have you know, had successes and done it before, been there, done that, and can just relay certain wisdom that you would never be able to read in a book. Or, or maybe you have, but you don't necessarily know how to gauge it, the, the importance of that information versus others. And one, you know, there's plenty of stories of people coming right out of college, jumping right into building their own business or leaving a company, a, a big company and just starting their own business. And if you want to do that, that's great. I don't think that's the best way. And I, I don't have any statistics to show up, but I, I wouldn't think that that's the most highest percentage <laughs> area for success. I think the way to go is to find a great team. You focus all of your effort on, on the team. Don't care. Honestly, you shouldn't care about what you're doing. If you find the right team, you could get hired for mopping the floor or whatever. Uh, it shouldn't matter. And it shouldn't matter what you get paid. It, again, depending on, assuming that your your goal, ultimate goal is that you want to learn and then be able to build your own companies and that type of thing. So if you get a chance, like just to pick a name out of a hat, um, Andrew Chen is like a very well-known you know, entrepreneur and investor and everything like that. If you get the chance to work with Andrew Chen, forget about anything else. It doesn't matter what the company is. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You do that because the amount of knowledge you're going to learn and the, and the networking you'll get and that value will serve you way more than anything else you could possibly do. Now, it is certainly true that um, when you do stuff on your own, when you kind of like stick your head in the fire hose, um, you definitely learn a lot that way as well. But I just think that the uh, your uh, the speed at which you can recover and learn from your mistakes and that type of thing is just going to be so much faster when you have that type of help with you. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And um, I mean, by the sounds of it, you you've got that solid team happening uh, at Get Human, and you guys are able to branch out into other avenues, uh, probably through that kind of tight knit and, and high performing team that you've got, uh, that you've got. Yeah, no, we did have to let a lot of really talented people go over the past couple of years, you know, as we kind of pivoted, but the team that remains is like superstars. You know, it's all people, we're all on the same page. We all have the same kind of like aspirations, you know, uh, different team members are are kind of specialized in different areas, but everybody is is very good at what they do, and uh, I learn from my teammates, you know, every day. Uh, but in addition to the people I work with directly, there there's also like a very strong set of kind of advisors and and people around the company that also help. You know, we're lucky to over the years have. You know, some people that are are formally invest uh, formal you know investors in the company that you know continue to help on a, on a regular basis, but also it's just some informal advisors like people that you know. I, I strongly believe you know both Christian and I believe that in paying forward, and we try to help other companies, and we get the same back. We have plenty of other both friends and and other you know acquaintances that run other companies that. Are more than happy to give us advice to uh, help us in whatever way we need, and that's been you know invaluable. Very very cool. If 
people are looking to team up with others in the same camp as them or, you know, maybe same mindset, any recommendations as to where they might start to look? Um, you know, there's the obvious places, maybe like local meetups and stuff like that. Any anything that you've found, uh, you know, kind of practical and valuable uh, in that sense? Yeah, I mean, meetups work. I I feel like regards to the venue, the the thing where it's most successful, besides like the just like the pure friends that you have, like people that you've known for a long time, when you're meeting somebody new, it always helps when you can provide value to them before you're like kind of pinging them with like questions and asking them to you know for for different help and so i think one other strategy in addition to the the meetup thing that i would kind of throw out there is if you're interested in a space and and obviously so what the strategy i'm going to describe is you you can't do this for everything but uh I, i definitely think this this works in kind of a limited capacity is if you're if you're interested in a space like let's say you love self-driving cars or whatever and you start doing some work in there and, and whether it's you know uh, um some ai work or or whatever aspect of um self-driving cars it is then you start looking at all the other people in the space and if you get involved in any particular space you start being aware of what the challenges are that other people have right and you can actually start on this is uh kind of like the the long term play for networking that like i know works but uh you got to be judicious the way you work to do this is that you identify some problems and you start kind of like building um solutions sometimes it's actually physically building something pieces of software uh, sometimes it's just kind of working in a problem and thinking about uh, more of like a uh thought leader type of, of, of situation where you, where you're trying to, uh, understand the situation and provide some insights or whatever. And when you get to the point where you can actually provide value to other leaders in that space by either through, you know, writing a blog post where you give some good insight on and that you, a problem that you know that they're having, or, you know, small piece of software that might solve some particular thing that is a much better way to start to be ingrained to um and increase your uh, or create strong ties with important um people than just kind of randomly talking to somebody because at that point you add, there's actually like a real physical like value that you're giving them and you can continue to give them and then that 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 starts the relationship better and you can kind of build it from there. But obviously you can't do that for you know, everyone. Um, I, I think one example of something that I've used along these lines um, in the past, it, I didn't use it specifically as purpose, I should say. It's something that I was doing anyway, and but I've kind of leveraged it for that, is that, you know, I, I for Angular... I helped to build the server rendering library for the latest version of Angular, Angular Universal. This was like the original version, you know, back in the Angular 2.0 days. <clears throat> and because I was involved in that, there are, you know, a number of companies that want, need that, that particular problem solved. And, you know, it's a pretty easy intro and a pretty easy way for anybody who's in that situation for me to say, okay, you know, Hey, I actually was one of the people working on this, solving this problem. Even if they, they might not actually be using Angular, um, they might be using react or something else, but it doesn't matter. Like even it, the point is not necessarily that, that somebody has to actually use your specific solution, but sometimes it's just the insight that comes from that that is a value um, that you can give. And there's been plenty of conversations that I've had over the years that have come just from that alone, that like people dealing with the underlying problems, you know, that have an SEO site or, or need some uh, you know, fast initial rendering. And, you know, I, I talk about some of the experience that we've had, what worked, didn't work. And 
that's like super helpful to them. Like that, that is, is something that is kind of tangible and that builds a relationship. And, you know, I tell them, you know, like, okay, let's, there's any other problems, you know, just let me know. And then they reach out to me. And, and then once you have that going back and forth, then it's very easy when you actually do need something in the future, uh, you know, you've already helped those people like a number of times. They're, they're more than willing to, you know, help you, whether it is, you know, just answer a question or, um, you know, I mean, obviously there's limits, but, but it definitely helps to create these deeper relationships. Love it. Adding value for them before really asking for anything in return. That's, uh, that's awesome. Well, I think that's probably a good place to start wrapping things up, Jeff. Um, anything you wanted to plug before we go? Uh, and maybe how can people get in touch with you? Where can, uh, where can people say hi? Yeah, the best thing to do is follow me on Twitter. That's, uh, these days mostly where I <laughs> connect with other people on. So it's at Jeff Welpley on Twitter. And uh, as far as plugs go, the only other thing that we hadn't talked about is that I am I am doing a lot of stuff with my kids to teach them how to code and to teach their friends how to code. So I've start it started this thing called NG Club, which cool. is a, a way of of uh, basically a piece of software that I wrote uh, at ngclub.app to help teach kids how to code. And I'm still working on a lot of the details of, but eventually I, I want to have kind of a whole curriculum that people can follow and, you know, for kids of any age uh, along with the, the software and that type of thing. So it, it's not anything I'm looking to like sell or productize per se. It's more something that I just want to use for my own kids and I want to do it in a way that other people can benefit from it as well. Very cool. We will link that up and uh, I'm just taking a look now. It looks really cool. Uh, I can learn a lot about logic, math, text, arrays. That's a, that's awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, it's been a slice chatting with you, Jeff. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation and uh, I will catch you hopefully at NGConf. I think, are you headed there this year? Uh, TBD on that, but uh, TBD. All right. Yeah, well, you're I hope, speaking, I hope aren't to you? See there. I'm speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Brad McAllister. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're doing uh, we're doing a talk, Brad McAllister and I. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I hope to see you there. But if not, I'll, I'll catch you at something else very soon. Definitely. Awesome, man. Well, you have a good one and we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. so much for tuning in to the entrepreneurial coder podcast today you'll be able to find show notes including links to all the resources that jeff mentioned at ecpodcast.io if you got any feedback for the show if you'd like to suggest a future guest or if you just want to say hi i'd love to hear from you you can say hi on twitter at twitter.com slash coder podcast also if you enjoy this episode and if you feel so inclined it would be great if you could leave a review and subscribe and if not no hard feelings until next time, happy hacking.